Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning, Harbor Church. How are we doing? There you go. A few of you awake. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody that's tuning in online. If you're listening to this on the podcast or many months from now, uh, we're still glad that you're with us. If you're here visiting this morning, if this is your first time, your first time in a long time, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor here at Harbor Church. And uh, man, I get, I get excited when we get a chance just to get together, worship like we've been worshiping, and then uh, to get into the word. Um, although I'm nervous now that Ron and, and Allison are like, please review. Um, <laughs> Now, my mom always said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I can see some of you like, oh, I'm writing this down. Like, all right, so that's fine. Maybe I'll preach a little better today. I don't know. Um, but we're really glad that you're with us. We really are. And uh, we're into a series that we're calling Villains. And uh, the reason we did this is last year we had so much fun. We studied superheroes and uh, the heroes of the Bible. And we, uh, you know, all the superhero movies are so popular that we just tied them into superheroes that you could find and help you remember. Um, and if you don't need that, great. Uh, maybe you're like me, though, and like little things help you remember other things. And so we were finding comic book characters that would help us remember superheroes from the Bible. And then this summer, we thought, why don't we study some of the villains of the Bible, the bad guys of the Bible? Most of the time when you hear Bible stories, everybody kind of brushes over the bad guys because you know you're not supposed to be the bad guy. And then we always focus on the good guy. And that's, that's good. We do want to be the good guy. We want to do the right things. But sometimes you can look at the bad guys and learn things that you might already be doing and not realize, or put up some guardrails and some boundaries so that you don't become one of the bad guys. Okay, so like nobody here is susceptible to that. Like not me. I'm just do the good guys, Pastor. That's all I need. I'm already good. I can learn a lot from the bad guys. And what's hurtful is when I read the bad guys and I'm like, oh, I'm more the bad guy than the good guy. And then I'm like, okay. And so that's what we've been doing. And today's bad guy, um, I'm equating to a different kind of character, um, pretty, pretty heavy. There's a new movie that just came out about this guy, and maybe you've seen it. But today's comic book character that we're going to be talking about is a guy named Venom. And Venom is, man, he is a mean-looking, like weird-looking creature. He's, he's one of the, uh, the, the, the bad guys that loves to fight Spider-Man mostly, but he's got crossover. He fights Daredevil. He fights some other guys too, but Venom... For those of you that know nothing about comic books, he comes from outer space. He's got a superiority complex. He believes that all the other humans around him are lesser than him, and he's a little touched. Like, he is just crazy. Um, I was going to do Joker from the Batman for this one because he's also a little crazy, but I like Venom being crazy and having this, this complex that everybody is beneath him and that he's so much better and so much smarter and has such a better plan. And I thought that that comic book character tied into today's Bible villain or, or bad guy and in a couple unique ways. And I'll save one of them for the end. But today's Venom is going to be equated to the Bible's Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar is a villain that um, the Jews came to call him Nebuchadnezzar the Destroyer. He is the uh, king, the emperor, the self-proclaimed God of the Babylonians. And uh, the reason they call him the destroyer is most of the Babylonian wars fought, were fought against the Egyptians. But Nebuchadnezzar also decides to invade Israel. And when he goes into Israel, he sacks Israel. He takes a lot of them as captives. And uh, he also uh, tears down Solomon's temple. So he's the one that destroyed the temple the first time. 
and he took all the stuff out of it, and he takes a ton of Israelites captive. They, they normally would leave the weak ones behind, and if you heard Pastor Ron's message last week, uh, we, we, we did a story on Nehemiah trying to go and rebuild what Nebuchadnezzar and other armies had torn down. But Nebuchadnezzar came through, and he took a bunch of people with him. And one of the guys he took with him was named Daniel. And Daniel's the one who's kind of the good guy in the book of Daniel. He's, he's following after God, but he's a slave. He's a, he's a prisoner of the Babylonians. But because he was smart and because God blessed him, God put Daniel in a place to be an influence in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And there's a lot of really cool stories about Nebuchadnezzar um, and all the stuff that he did. But he was known, I mean, he, at the time that this is taking place, you guys need to understand, he's probably the most powerful man on the planet. Truthfully, the Babylonian Empire was the strongest. They had just, um, just put down a little bit of an Egyptian uprising. There was nobody that was standing in competition that could really do much damage to Nebuchadnezzar. So he is not only the head of the most powerful country at the time, um, but they are also not, they're also probably the wealthiest, the most influential. I mean, he's got everything. There is no other human on the planet that stacks up to Nebuchadnezzar at this time. And then one of his slaves introduces him and said, hey, you may think you're all that in a bag of potato chips, but I got a God who's a little bit bigger than you. And Nebuchadnezzar has a power struggle because just like Venom, he feels that everything is beneath him. Everybody else, he's got a superiority complex that he, he's got a better plan than this God of Daniel. So a couple times, Nebuchadnezzar gets to kind of be uh, introduced. And the first time, he asked that all of his all of his um, uh, honorage, his court, the, the men that he put into his court as his advisors and, and, and part of that, that system, he wanted them all to be fed with special like, uh, meat that he had been offering to his idols and stuff. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys said, no, we're not eating it. And there's like a little test there. I preached on it a while ago. But basically what happens in Daniel chapter 1, I want to give you a little bit of backstory because I really want you to understand the fall of Nebuchadnezzar. And how you can, I can relate to, 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 to him. Um, but it starts with this. When the, when the training period for the, this court, this group of men, was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get different names. Daniel also gets a different name. You'll see that here in a minute. Um, a Babylonian name. And it says, uh, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted with those guys in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them to be 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Because God blessed these guys, every time Nebuchadnezzar had a question, they were just wise. Not that they in themselves are awesome, but because they, they trusted God more than everybody else was trusting what they could come up with, God blessed them. And so they rose in ranks. And Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to these guys who have a different plan for life. And so this morning, I'm imagining that I'm talking to some people, whether it's online or in this room, that, that know what, what I have experienced, which is a relationship with Christ. There's some of you that, that know what it means to have God in your life, to have invited Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior. And what that means, if that, that sounds too churchy to you, what that means is there's a time when you accept that you're not good enough to be the God of your life, and so you invite the one who actually was pure and perfect to come in and sit in the driver's seat of your life. And what, what that looks like is you saying, I'm not going to call the shots, God. You call the shots because you're a better God than I am. 
And if you're, if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out this church thing. I don't know what I believe. Well, you're in the right spot. I want you to begin to investigate that. If you're listening to this and you're going, I'm not sure if I can believe in God. Good. At least you're beginning to open up to the possibility. There is a, there is a chance that you're completely ignorant of a God that loves you. You may not even know that. Today might be the first time that you're hearing that there's a God of the universe that created you and loves you and died for you. So you're just now beginning to even understand the possibility. So there is an ignorance of the gospel that people have. Just I just didn't know. I didn't know. So there's an ignorance. And Nebuchadnezzar started ignorant because he had all these other gods. And everybody's telling him, Nebi, you're the best God we know, Nebi. He's like, yeah, I'm a pretty. He's told from the time he's born, his dad kind of took over the throne and just handed it to him that you're, you're a God in flesh, Nebuchadnezzar. You're, you're, you're a God. And so he's like, I'm a God. And you and I would go, well, I would never think that. I would never act that way. But here's the truth. If you're living in ignorance of God and what he's done for you, that's dangerous because God has a plan and, and I'm here. My job is to tell you about what that plan is and that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. I don't want you to be ignorant, but I love the saying from Albert Einstein. <laughs> and and it, it's cool that he says this because he, he, he says, the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. Nebuchadnezzar was ignorant of God, but he compounded it by then turning to arrogance. Once he started to learn that there was a plan for him, what's worse than not knowing the plan What's worse than not knowing that God has a plan for your life is knowing that God has a plan for your life and then doing your own plan. There better be a whole lot more head shaking going on in here. I'm not the only sinner that does this. There's times where I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm just ignorant. Like, God, help me, show me. And then there's times where I'm like, God, help me, show me. And he's like, okay, Josh, go here. And I'm like, ah, I'll go this way. So I went from ignorance to arrogance, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar suffers from both of these, okay? He's, he's, he's delusional in a lot of ways, and this is, this is where his fall. This isn't the only time he, he begins to understand that there's something different about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and of Daniel. If you remember, uh, and maybe you don't know these stories, in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He can't remember the dream, but he demands that people tell him what the dream was and then tell him the interpretation. I dreamed something. What was it and what does it mean? <laughs> now, I, I, I sympathize with Dan. He's gonna, listen, he's going to kill all of his, his advisors because none of them can tell him his dream or what it means he's going to kill him. And I read it and I went, there's a time where somebody I love, maybe my wife, had a dream that I did something bad and then I had to pay for it in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like Why am I? I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Like, how am I in the doghouse? And I'm sure these guys are like, you want us to tell you a dream that you, you can't even tell us? We can't tell you what it means because we don't even know what the dream was. But because God was, had his hand on Daniel, Daniel was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar the, what the dream was. And it was about this giant statue. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a statue with different types of metal that made up all of its body. And it was, it was God letting him know that as great as, as Nebuchadnezzar's empire was, of Sism as the head, there was going to be more empires coming, and all of those empires, and by the way, it's cool prophecy, because God's speaking about the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, if you enter into history, God told way back at the Babylonian empire, here's more empires coming, and then he said, by the way, none of them are going to last, and that's important, some of you in here, you need to understand, 
Governments come and go, and everything on the world can ebb and flow, but God says he's the one that's going to last a lifetime. He tells Nebuchadnezzar this, or, or he shows that in a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel interprets it. After he interprets it and tells Nebuchadnezzar what it means, <coughs> what it means, um, <coughs> dear review, pastor speaks often in a weird voice. Um, <coughs> Verse number 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods. Now he's more aware, and he's lumped God into a bunch of gods, and, and, and Daniel's God is like king of the mountain, you know, like king of the God mountain, and he doesn't quite get it, like he's kind of edging out some of Nebuchadnezzar's gods and Daniel's like bro all of those gods are fake they're not like barely beating him like our, my god is way bigger. but Nebuchadnezzar hasn't quite got it. he goes your god is greater than all the other gods lord over kings a revealer of mysteries for you've been able to reveal this secret now you would think if you had that kind of experience you would be on board like whatever your god says let's go because none of none of the other gods could do that He's told that there's a statue that represents him, but that statue will crumble and his empire will go away and the empires that come after him will go away. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Humble himself, fall in love with God and say, God, I'm your servant. No, in the very next chapter, some of you are like, he does? <laughs> no. In the very next chapter, he builds an idol of himself and demands that everybody bows down to it. He kind of gives the bird to, to Daniel and his God. He's like, your God thinks a statue is going to crumble? I'll build a nice big statue of myself that everybody has to bow down to. And then he commands all of his court to bow down to it. And he says, if you don't bow down to my statue, which is kind of like a way of saying, I think I'm bigger than your God thinks I am. He says, if you don't bow down to my statue, I'll throw you into a fiery furnace. An amazing story. It's wicked cool. Um, I don't have time to tell you, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we're not bowing down, bro. Ain't going to do it. So he gets mad, throws him in the fire. Fire doesn't kill him. As a matter of fact, God goes in and rescues him out of the fire. When they come out of the fire, Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any other God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. Listen to the decree that Nebuchadnezzar makes. This is his own words. I make this decree. If any people, whatever the race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be uh, turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And you would think this, finally, it's time. He says three times he's seen the power of God in miraculous ways. Three times, surely Nebuchadnezzar is going to do the right thing because that's what you and I do when God shows us grace and mercy and puts up with us being stupid and having our heads up our butt and creating giant dumpster fires for our life and he shows us grace time and time again. You and I go, yep, God's better. I'll repent and do the right thing. I'm not preaching this lesson because we are better than Nebuchadnezzar. You better understand you and I are Nebuchadnezzar. He, was, he, he liked God. Don't get me wrong. Nebuchadnezzar liked God. He liked the God of Daniel. He, he was impressed with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saw a lot of things. 
But I'm here, and I think some of you need to hear this. Being impressed with God is not the same thing as surrendering to God. There's a lot of you in here that are playing church. Hear me, because I love you, because I played church for a long time. I didn't hate God. That, this is kind of what our society is like. You either are, you, you believe in God or you don't believe in God. There's, there's, a, there's, there's more to it than that. I didn't hate God, but I hadn't surrendered to him. I like the idea of God granting me a wish every once in a while. Like, and listen, don't, listen, I went to church every once in a while. I prayed every once in a while. If you asked me if I was a Christian or a believer, I would say, yeah, I believed in God. There's a difference between the quote-unquote believing in God and saying a prayer every once in a while and going to church every once in a while versus surrendering to that God. Inviting him in. Truly moving out of the driver's seat. Some of you have asked Jesus to be like your co-pilot. Like, hey, jump in. This is the drive I call my life. You can give me advice every once in a while, but I got the steering wheel. I'll call the shots. If I don't like your route, I'm staying on my route. That's not surrender, guys. That's not surrender. And your relationship with God this morning has to be deeper than just, uh, I kind of want him along for the ride. He has to be the one in the driver's seat. That's the difference. And some people are like, well, I, but pastor, you're not talking to me. I believe there's a God. <clears throat> oh, this is going to hurt, okay? James 2.19. He goes, hey, good. You, you think you have faith. Why? Because you believe that there's a God. Uh, good for you. That's sarcasm, by the way. Good for you. Even the demons believe that there's a God, and they tremble in terror. When people tell me, I'm like, hey, tell me about, tell me about when you, you accepted Christ as your Savior. Tell me about the time when you invited Jesus in, when you surrendered your life and let him be the one calling the shots. Oh, well, I've always believed in God. That's not salvation. I love you enough to tell you that one of the scariest verses in the Bible is where Jesus says that people are going to, when they're going to die and they're going to stand before God and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do a bunch of stuff in your name? Didn't I go to church and didn't I tell people about you? Didn't I do all these great things? And God's going to say, I never knew you. Because it's not about acts of service. It's not about making other people think that we're believers. It's not about patting ourselves on the back. It's about actually surrendering to God. It's about actually inviting Jesus Christ in. And, and, and this is, this is the, the message of the Bible is that the God loves you. And it's not just enough that you accept that it's true. It's that you put your faith in it. I think Nebuchadnezzar accepted that it was true. Hey, your God's pretty good. But he wasn't going to put his faith in their God. He still had his faith in himself. This is what Psalms 9.10 says. Those of you, uh, it says, those who know your name put their trust in you, and for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. It's not like God, like Nebuchadnezzar's like, I love God, and God's like, no, get away from me. Nebuchadnezzar's like, I like God, but I love myself a little bit more. This is church to a T. We're so quick to be like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not like my neighbor. I'm not like some of my family members. I actually believe in God, or I actually spend time praying. And listen, I'm not knocking that. I'm proud of you. But you're stopping short of actually inviting God into your life to be the one who calls the shots. And that, that's the difference in the relationship of having the Holy Spirit live inside of you versus feeling good about, oh, I went to church today. This is, this is, this is where Nebuchadnezzar had to wrap his head around it. And Daniel... Chapter 4 is where we're really going to focus. I haven't even started preaching yet. <laughs> Dear Yelp, longest intro to sermons ever. All right, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4, he has another dream. So we've seen Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3. He's, had, he's been introduced to God. Daniel chapter 4, he had another dream 
which may, this is, this is, by the way, is Nebuchadnezzar writing this. This is how cool it is, because we're going to come back to it. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is, is chapter 4. Chapter 4, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my, of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they make, my, make, make known to me the interpretation of this dream. And then it says, um, I think I might have put it in a different version. Uh, then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God in him. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want the name Daniel. They, they worshiped a God named Bel, so they were giving everybody names around it. So he made Daniel go by Belteshazzar to give him a Babylonian name. It says, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretations. He wants, he wants Daniel to tell him about this dream. And he has this dream. I'm going to condense it for you. He has this dream of this really big tree that's just awesome and all these big branches and all this cool stuff and all these animals and things. And the tree gets chopped down and everything scatters and everything goes away. And it says, leave the root and the stumps because we're not finished with it. And um, he calls in all of his astrology. He already, this time he knew the dream. Much better when you know the dream. He knows the dream. He tells them and they won't tell him. It's not that they don't know what it means. It's pretty obvious what it means. So let me get this straight. You dreamed about this giant thing that's awesome and has all this power and glory, and then it gets cut down? Yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> and nobody will tell them. They're like, nah, I'm drawing a blank, boss. He might know. And they all pass the buck till they get to Daniel. And Daniel not only knows what it means, and he tells him, he goes, I wish this, was, this dream was about one of your enemies. Because he loved Nebuchadnezzar, he felt... God's calling to do something in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Daniel had a passion to reach. You guys need to understand, this is ultimately like his master. He was enslaved. His, his, his home was burnt down. He was captured. And even in the middle of that, he, he loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to try to help him. And he tells him, like, hey, God's going to tear your kingdom down. God's going to scatter you out into the wild. God is going to drive you from humanity. And Nobody knew exactly how that was going to take place. I'll show you here in a minute how it does. But in verse 27, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. And perhaps you will continue to prosper. He gives them advice on how to avoid the upcoming calamity that's, that, that God has said is coming. God says, listen, you've been sinning. You're arrogant. You think you know all of that. I'm going to humble you, and, Nehemiah, uh, and uh, Nebuch uh, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, please stop sitting. Stop doing what you're doing because, man, you don't want this punishment coming. You don't want God doing this. Like, you need to get, you need to get your heart right with God. And he, he tells him what nobody else would tell him. All the other astrologers and magicians, all the rest of the court, they just refuse to say anything bad to, to Nebuchadnezzar. And as I looked at that, I said, God, you know, how, how would you have me learn from that? And I believe that not every person that critiques you as your enemy. I think he looked, Nebuchadnezzar looked at a group of people that wouldn't say anything to him because they didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I spoke about this when I, when I talked about Elijah and Ahab. Our sin has a way of making enemies out of the friends that God puts in our life. If, you, if, if you're available to speak truth into somebody's life, 
You need to speak that truth with grace. It's not your job to look down on other people. It's not your job to tell everybody how great you are. But if you love somebody, help them. Help them avoid some calamity, some danger that's befalling them. And if somebody is trying to speak truth into your life, it's not that they're your enemy. Now, listen, there's some enemies out there. There's some people that just want to just want to beat you down. You should be able to tell the difference between the enemy and the friend. What's their goal? Is their goal to crush you, to see you broken? Daniel's goal was to help him out, was to see him get better. He wasn't taking joy in it. His heart was broken for him. If there's somebody that just likes pointing out all your faults, that might not be a good friend. <laughs> and some of you, I'm like, I ain't got enough time for this. Like, just, can you just like alphabetize and we'll get through A to like C today and we'll come back for the rest of my faults another time. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what, what you want, but if there's somebody that loves me enough that they're a part of my life and then they speak truth into it, even if I don't want to hear it, even if it doesn't make me feel good in the moment, that may not be my enemy. And so he says, he says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, please don't do this. Please, please change your habits. And then verse 28 comes. And verse 28 is pretty sad. Verse 28 says, but all these things did happen to Nebuchadnezzar. All the bad stuff that, that Daniel said was going to happen, it did happen. Because Nebuchadnezzar, as much as he had heard warnings and God had given him time and time again, God had given him red flags. You're doing the wrong thing, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going down the wrong path, Nebuchadnezzar. And you should fill in your blank for Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. You should fill in your name in that blank. You're going down the wrong path, Josh. Stop acting like that, Josh. Stop talking like that, Josh. Stop prioritizing that. Stop putting that thing first in your life. Stop loving that more than you love me. Stop thinking that you have all the answers. Stop making your mindset, your emotions, your wants, your desires, the thing that matters most to you. It's red flags because I'm going down the wrong path. And we, we put blinders on because what? We're arrogant. We, we believe that somehow we've got it all put together. And what we do is we forfeit our relationship with God because our pride pushes him out. Our pride at thinking that we somehow know what's best for us. The Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on your head. As much as you know how much you hurt and all the things you think, and you're an expert on you, you don't know how many hairs are on your head. And yet you're going to tell God what is best for you. By the way, he knows all things. He is everywhere. He has the beginning and the end written, and he knows everything about you. He knows the amount of times your heart has beat today. You don't know that. Just understand, you do not know as much as God, even when it comes to the, the subject of you. And so surrendering to him is so much better. But we forfeit our relationship with God because of our pride. And I want you to remember today, it's better to lose your pride and keep your relationship than to keep your pride and lose your relationship. And I'm talking right now about a relationship with God, but I think this applies to a lot of you in your relationships, maybe with the person you're sitting next to, maybe with somebody who, where the bridge has already been burned. God has called us to humility. The Son of God demonstrated humility when he got down on his hands and knees and washed the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples, including the one who would betray him. Because that's what humility looks like. He came to serve. And he didn't have to do that. He, they didn't deserve to have that done to their feet. And he definitely wasn't the lowest person in that room. All of them should have been doing that to his feet. But instead, he humbled himself. Why? Because there's a part of being the kind of friend that God has called us to be where we humble ourselves and care less about what we get out of it. When our pride steps in, we push people out. Some of you have burned, burned bridges in relationships because you refuse to be humble. 
Well, they better appreciate me. They better know what I do. They better give me some love. They better show me some respect. Jesus is the only one that had the right to actually act that way, and he never did. Why do you and I act that way? How many relationships, especially today, in the age of like, let me type everything I think out loud and just send it into the, the multiverse out there. How many relationships have we destroyed because our pride says that I know everything and I need to educate everybody on my level? And we lose relationships, but we keep our pride. And I think we got to flip that, guys. It doesn't mean you're wrong. Jesus didn't sin. He wasn't wrong. He was just humble. You can be right and be humble. I'm going to throw a freebie in here. You can be right and then still think that they're right. And you need to be okay with it. Making everybody agree that you're right doesn't usually help your relationships. You might win the argument, but you're probably going to lose the relationship. Just a thought. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really care. It says 12 months later, he took a long walk on the flat roof of his royal palace. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. My own mighty, by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my, my majestic splendor. You got to understand Nebuchadnezzar is, cr is credited with creating and building the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's a beautiful, I'll put a picture up. This is just a, a guess. Nobody really knows what it looks like. Babylon, the city that, that Nebuchadnezzar builds, is the largest archaeological site today on the planet. Babylon, as, as these guys, these archaeologists are trying to uncover more and more artifacts, is over 2,000 acres big. There's no archaeological site that's as big as the city that Nebuchadnezzar built. And this was considered one of the, one of the top seven ancient wonders of the world that he was able to build. He just built it for his wife because she missed home. Fellas, we ain't ever going to get there. <laughs> just know, like, okay, I lose. I lose this battle. He built the hanging garden, and, and it, this wasn't the only thing. He built so much. He, he, his empire was huge. At the time, it was the greatest empire on the planet. And so he walks around the top of his rooftops looking down on everything. Look what I've built. Look what I've done. Look at these people who owe me all of their praise. There is something to be said when we refuse to humble ourselves. When we have the arrogance that we are God, we walk around with pride. And what pride does, pride keeps you looking down. You need to understand, pride keeps you looking down on people. It keeps you looking down on situations. You think that you're above it, that your plan is better, that you know more. And as long as you're looking down, you can't look up. You can't see something that's above you. When you're looking down, and I love C.S. Lewis wrote about this over and over again. If you are so focused this way, it doesn't matter what God's doing up here. Hey, Josh, pay attention to me. I got something for you. No, no, no. I just like seeing where I'm better than them. I'm better than them. I know more than them. They wish they could be me. And the whole time, your pride is telling you all the things that you've got to focus on, and it keeps you from focusing on the one thing that's actually going to help you, which is looking up. So what happens to him? This is the fun part. Crazy part. While the words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You're no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. 
In that same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. That means he didn't even have clothes on. He was out there naked in the field, just eating grass like a cow. There's a, uh, there's a mental disorder called boanthropy, where people believe that they are an actual cow, and Nebuchadnezzar suffers from that. For seven years, he's hanging out, just getting rained on. It says, he lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. It says, he hung out with donkeys in chapter 5 when they retell the story again. Just hung out with donkeys. And there's an entire message there. But he, he suffers through one of the craziest things. And in all the examples, even today in modern medicine, when somebody suffers from the delusion that they're an animal, they'll refer to the story of Nebuchadnezzar because he's the most famous person to have this, this uh, mental breakdown. And God allows him to go through that and puts him in a place where his pride could no longer sustain what was happening. Like you, it's hard to look down and be cocky when everybody has seen you living in the fields for seven years, like when you just look crazy. Can you imagine how jacked up his teeth were after eating grass all that time? Like, dang. Here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. After this time had passed, remember I told you this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Because Nebuchadnezzar didn't stay out in the field. He writes this as a testimony to his people. He says, after the time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing this stuff? What, what Nebuchadnezzar came to understand is something that you and I probably need to just have like as a side note is what Romans 13 talks about. Romans 13, in verse number one, it says, all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Guys, it's an election year. You need to remember this verse. Your hope for eternity does not rest on the men and women that we cast our votes behind. I love that our country gives us that freedom. Many countries do not have that freedom. You should exercise that freedom. I'll never tell you how to vote. I believe that you need to, if you can, go and do that, but you need to not put your faith in that. That's a blessing. It's a huge blessing that a lot of countries don't have, but it's, it's not your savior. It's not your salvation. And any authority that's there is only, nobody gets authority unless God allows it. And that's what that verse is saying. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, finally comes to the, that conclusion. And I love, in verse 36, he says, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able, and humble to, he is able to humble the proud. This is the only villain that we're going to talk about in this series who becomes a good guy. Just for the record, Venom has times where he's a good guy too, which is why I picked him. But more importantly, Goliath, Samballot, Jezebel, who we're going to be talking about next week, there's no redemption for him. And that's sad. They're villains and they die villains. But Nebuchadnezzar, as much as he suffered from the arrogance of believing he was God, he came 
to the understanding that as much as God had given him, as smart as he was, as powerful as he was, as rich as he was, it was nothing compared to the God of the universe. It was nothing compared to what God could do through him if he would just humble himself. I, I, I wrote this down, and it might just be for me, but I'm going to assume that a few of you are dumpster fires like myself. And I wrote this down about the story of Nebuchadnezzar. A mistake that makes you humble is better than an achievement that makes you arrogant. My life has been consumed by saying, look at this achievement. I want this achievement. I want this achievement. I want this achievement. And that just sets us up on a path to be arrogant, proud Nebuchadnezzars. And every once in a while, we stumble. And most of us, if you're like me, when we stumble, we try to hide it. Like, I didn't fall. I didn't make a mistake. We're embarrassed. We hide it from our spouses, from our kids, from our parents, from our coworkers, from our friends. We hide our mistakes because we don't want anybody to see it. And sometimes our, it's the very thing that humbles us that God's trying to use. And all we want to focus on is we want to show everybody all of our accomplishments. Look at all these medals I've won. Here's my trophies of life. And God's saying, listen, if you'll let me use these, the times where I make you eat grass, I'll restore your honor. I'll bring back your kingdom. He said it was better than before. I can't imagine a, a leader having a fall from grace where he's in the fields with donkeys and people saw that and he ever got his respect back. But God says, God did it. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony was that it was greater than it was before. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in, the, in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. If you want to brag about something, brag about this, that you truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. What God really cares more about than all the houses you can build, all the mansions that you've grown, all the money you've accumulated, all the titles that you've got, all the accolades and praise from all the people that think that you're awesome. More than he cares about all that is he cares about where your heart is. Some of you today, he's giving you an opportunity for the very first time to surrender your heart to him. You've been, you've been like Nebuchadnezzar, you've been impressed with God, but you haven't been surrendered to God. You've known about God, but you've never made him a part of your life. Today, make him a part of your life. In this moment, invite him in to be the, the one in the driver's seat. And if you're sitting there going, Pastor, I've already done it. Where has your pride stepped in and you've drifted from the, the person that God's called you to be? Because the person that God wants, the, the man or woman that he wants is the one who humbly says, God, use me and everything I have for whatever it is that you want. Arrogance says, I earned this, I'll keep this, I'll do with my life, my time, my treasures, what I want. So if you really know Jesus, then where's your surrender? You want him to save you from hell, you want a home in heaven, but you want to keep everything on earth for you? That's not surrender. What have you, what, what do you got to let go of today? Is it your plan for revenge? That's an ego thing. Is it your plan for retirement? That's an ego thing. I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm just saying surrender and let God work through you. As I pray out loud, would you pray right there at your seat? Let's talk to God. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to read a story about a king that you pursued. God, I do not understand how you could use people to reach Nebuchadnezzar. Those people must have been so hurt. And Nebuchadnezzar was so wicked and so broken, and yet you time and time again made ways for him to see you and come to know you. And I believe, God, that right now there's people that are under the sound of my voice that you are giving them time and time again an opportunity to know you. So I pray, God, that they would. God, I pray that they would, in this moment, surrender. That they would just open up their heart and allow you, for the first time, truly to be their Lord and Savior. God, moving out of the driver's seat requires humility, and God, it's scary, and yet I know that there's somebody that needs to make that decision, so I pray that they would have the strength, even now, just to say, God, save me. Lord, I know that you have many of your children in this room and watching online. God, there's a lot of us that call you Lord and Savior, and yet we've we've reverted back to our arrogance. We've reverted back to trying to be the one that's, that's in charge of everything, and God, we're we're a group of people that are stressed. There's people that are scared. There's people that are mad. There's so many things in this world that are driving our emotions. We need you so much, and yet we're so unwilling to just step aside. God, would you forgive us of that? Would you forgive us of trying to do things in our own power and figure out things in our own power? Would you help every person in this room walk out of here different, walk out of here more willing to say yes to you and to let you lead us in our relationships, at our workplaces, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods. God, allow us to be more like you and less like ourselves. God, we ask this and we pray this humbly in your perfect and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.